Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, if you're brand new, we're in a series titled The Making of a Great Disciple. The Making of a Great Disciple. And I, I remember my first sermon I ever preached as a youth pastor that never left me. And I titled it, One Life, One Chance. And the reason why I titled that is we get no rewinds. You get one life, one chance. You don't get to live a good life and then try again to live a great life. You don't get to live for one thing and try another thing. We get one shot at this. The Bible says our life is but a breath. So if it's but a breath and we only get one shot, man, I wanna give it a great shot. I wanna be a great disciple. And so the uh, thing we're gonna learn, uh, learn from today is a letter to the church in Sardis. Now, Revelation, I'm loving it. Uh, I can say more, but man, I got a lot for you. So let's just dive into the scripture. Here we go, ready? Revelation three, verse one. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. We're gonna talk about that today. Hold on, you're alive, but you're dead. How's that happen? We're talking about spiritually. Uh, Wake up, strengthen what remains. Ooh, wake up. When Jesus says, wake up with an exclamation point, you better uh, kind of perk your ears a little bit. It's one of those smelling salt verses. Uh, smelling salt verses. You ever seen somebody get knocked out in a fight like, they bring over a smelling salt and they wake them back up. Well, I believe the world knocks you out sometimes with, uh, with doubt. The world knocks you out with wealth and comfort and, and the, the, just the laziness and comfort of this world. And Jesus' scripture will come around sometimes and wake you up and say, whoa, I've been living for the wrong thing. So he's saying, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I'll come to you. Yet you have few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Oof, I wanna be found worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from that book of life. I love that. The Lord says, I'll never blot out your name. If you've said yes to Jesus, your name is in the book and he will not blot it out. But we'll acknowledge that, uh, that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Stop. This book is written by an OG disciple, John, on an island to disciples. That's what this book's intention is. It's, it's a letter to disciples. And so the making of great disciples, I thought, man, why do, what if we finished it with these letters to the churches that is challenging disciples not to live a good life, not to live an okay life, but to say yes to the great life and the great adventure of living for Jesus. Now, uh, what I find about interesting about uh, Revelation is that you can get lost in the weeds real fast. John Calvin, who's one of the most brilliant people ever to live, at least when it comes to um, exegeting scripture and writing commentary on scripture, wrote a commentary on every single book in the Bible, except one. There's 66 books in the Bible, written by 40 plus authors, and 65 books he wrote a commentary on, but one he did not do a commentary, Revelation, he left it out. They asked him why, why didn't you write a commentary on Revelation? Here was his answer, I don't understand it. And really what he's saying is, of course he understands the heart of it, but if you're gonna write a commentary, you gotta go line by line. And if you read just even in these letters, you'll see seven stars, seven spirits. You'll see keys, you'll see bowls, soiled clothes, uh, robes, uh, um, uh, all these other uh, type of things, all these other symbols. Horns you'll see in Revelation. And so what can happen with a lot of people is they'll read the book of Revelation and all these symbols and all these things that they don't understand sometimes distract them from really what the heart of Revelation is supposed to do. And so even before we go on the message, I wanna remind you of three things that the letters are trying to do, the, the, the heart of Revelation. Because really the book of Revelation, oh, it's a special book. I would never write a commentary on it either. Not saying I'm as brilliant John Calvin, I'm just saying that there's no way I'd be able to write a commentary on Revelation. But you know what I can do? I love preaching on it. It's my favorite book in the whole Bible. 
You sound crazy, Tyler, your favorite book? It's my favorite book. If you know anything about me, I love the end of movies. I love knowing the ending. And Revelation tells me the ending of all this. And we win. It's a victory of all victories. So I love Revelation. I love eschatology. I love studying end times. Now, uh, three things. Three things this book of Revelation shows us that really is the heart of it. Let's not get lost in the weeds. Let's not get lost in the micro. Let's look at the macro real quick. It's an invitation book. The book of Revelation, you see the heart of God inviting his people to be a part of this great journey, inviting this, the, his people to be a part of the banquet. When's the invitation? I don't see the word invitation. You'll see the word invitation over and over again in the letters. Every single letter except Philadelphia because they're already on their way. It's the word repentance. Repentance is a fancy word for invitation. It is bust a 180 from the terrible party you're going because the kingdom of heaven can be like a great banquet and come to my great banquet. My party's better than all parties. My food's better than all foods. My company's better than all companies. Jesus asked the disciples to repent and come to the party. He asked us to repent and come to uh, the understanding that the calling of our life, living our purpose, oh, there's fulfillment in it. Could you imagine me texting you day after day to come over and hang? It would be like, okay, fine. I guess you really want me to hang out. Well, letter after letter, Chapter after chapter, Jesus keeps on inviting us. He really wants you to be a part of the story. He really wants you to come to the party. He really, do you ever wonder like, you ever hear somebody's kind of in passing even say, hey, you should come over. And you're like, do they even really want me to come over? Jesus does not leave this up for a debate. He wants you to come to the party. He doesn't make, say it in just one little glance. He says it over and over again. It's an invitation book. And say yes to the invitation of living your calling. Say yes to the invitation of salvation. Say yes to the invitation of being sanctified. These are all great things that Jesus invites us to in the book of Revelation. Second thing the book of Revelation shows us, it's a preparation book. It's a preparation book. Something that these churches didn't know and what I find interesting in the timing of these letters is they were gonna be going into a tribulation. And so you'll see over and over again in the book of Revelation, endure, hold on, keep suffering, don't give up. Uh, one of the, the scholars that I uh, read, what I loved, what he said about Revelation was simply this. It's a, a book saying, get ready to rise to the occasion. A tough time is coming, but the great Christians, they rise to the occasion. When things get hard, that's when the great ones really start to get noticed. That's when great disciples really get shifted to the top. Uh, another way I could say uh, this book, it's like a pregame speech. It's like a pregame fight speech to a fighter. It'd be like talking to you right before you're about to go out to the world. I, I picture Jesus pulling in Mission Church, the team of Mission Church, the disciples of Mission Church, and all of us are sitting there and Jesus is, is standing there like a great coach, if you will. And he's saying this to his disciples. All right, you're gonna go out those doors and the world's gonna give you everything but life. It's gonna knock you down. If you're married, oh, Satan's gonna come at you and he's gonna try to steal everything that you hold dear. At your weakest moment, that's when he'll strike. And I'm telling you with my pregame speech in scripture, hold on, do not give up. Don't, don't let suffering define your life. Endurance has a reward, keep enduring. Oh, it's the pregame speeches of all pregame speeches. If there's somebody who has a son who was lost, the, the Bible's saying, oh, don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your lost ones. Oh, hold on, believe my truth. They're gonna come home. It's Jesus leaning in and giving scripture. If it's somebody who's listening today and you've been just having the worst season of your life and you're contemplating taking your life, Jesus is screaming at you through Revelation, don't take your life. If you could endure, if you could just suffer a little longer, oh, there was a great reward. Do not let the enemy make you believe that this is how it ends. Valleys are not the period. Oh, the peaks are where I'm gonna lead you. Oh, it's an amazing thing what Jesus does in this book. Oh, it's a preparation book. Oh man, when I, when I get discouraged, I open up my word and I just see Jesus cheering me on. I love what it says in 1 John 5. It says, for every child to defeat this evil world, oh, we must trust God for the victory. Oh, do you trust him for the victory? If you're in the valley, do you trust he'll bring you out of the valley? 
Oh, I, I want to believe that this pregame speech in Revelation isn't just words, but man, it's something that could actually show us that the open doors that are ahead of us, oh, they're special. The third thing that Jesus shows us in the book of Revelation, it's a celebration book. It's a celebration book. Now, what does it celebrate in Revelation? It celebrates you. It celebrates me. It celebrates the church. If you look at all these letters, it talks about Ephesus. It goes, oh, I celebrate your hard work. Do you ever feel like you've done something really great for God and you worked hard and nobody saw it? Jesus simply says, I see your hard work. He celebrates it. He's the one that sees it. And that really is the only one that matters who sees it. So he celebrates hard work. He celebrates this. He goes, you're doing more than you do at first to Thyatira. Do you see what he's saying right there? He's celebrating progress. He goes, I see you. You're doing more than you did at first. I'm seeing progress. And Jesus celebrates progress to the church. He celebrates suffering. Oh, he shows a Smyrna. Oh, I see you suffering. Oh, but I celebrate you didn't give up through the suffering. He celebrates that they didn't give up. And he celebrates Philadelphia. Hey, you're following my word. You fall, I said it and you did it. Way to obey. He celebrates obedience to Philadelphia. So, so he celebrates the church. It's an amazing thing in Revelation. Another thing he celebrates, the, this book celebrates, it celebrates the greatness of Jesus. Ooh, it celebrates the greatness of Jesus. You'll see this in the very beginning. When we meet Jesus, his hair is white as snow, representing his wisdom, that he's the wisest of all. You'll see that his eyes are fire, that really representing that he can see anything and everything with the eyes of fire. His, from his mouth, it says in Revelation, that comes a double-edged sword, meaning that his words can penetrate anywhere and everywhere. Oof. It says that his voice is, a, is louder than the waters, meaning that his power is unmatched. What a description of Revelation shows us of Jesus. Can you, can you, sometimes we picture that Mr. Rogers Jesus with the brown hair. Just picture Revelation Jesus, white hair, eyes of, eyes of fire, uh, sword coming out of his mouth, and, and a sound when he talks that is so powerful. It, it reminds me of a lion king when they say, Mufasa, like, ooh, Mufasa. When Jesus talks, it's gonna, it's gonna cause people to shudder, but it's gonna cause us to re rejoice because his power is on our side. Oh, what an amazing picture. It celebrates the great picture of Jesus. This is just the intro. We're just getting started. I got to celebrate with you real quick. Uh, Revelation 5 is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. My wife's, maybe my wife's favorite scripture. And it's this moment where John is uh, getting a peek into the throne room and it celebrates Jesus again. And I want to read some of it to you. And I want you to catch this celebration real quick. I think some of you need to learn how to celebrate a little bit more what Jesus has done and what he's about to do. Here we go. Here's what it says in Revelation 5. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it up? But no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Stop. You gotta understand this, this scene right now. John is in the throne room of heaven and an angel yells, who can open up this scroll? I don't know how big the scroll is. Is it as big as this room? Is it as big as uh, my hand? Is it as big as my Bible? It's a scroll that is a, a scroll of significance. Scholars debate like crazy. Again, what does the scroll represent? Some say it's the will and testament of God, his inheritance leaving to us. And why does John weep bitterly? because nobody can open up and let us have our inheritance. Another person says that this is uh, the, the context of when you looked at Rome, that a land deed or a deed to a person, the ownership of a person is actually all of our names written on the scroll front and back and it's sealed. And the only one that can claim the deed to their people to say, I'm the redeemer. It's the picture of Boaz with Esther in the Old Testament. The great redeemer is Jesus saying, I, I, I can redeem. So John sees this scroll and nobody can open it. Why is he weeping, weeping bitterly? Because at this moment, he doesn't see Jesus. So therefore he thinks mankind is dipped. And I love this next verse. It celebrates, listen to what it says. It says, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. 
Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Ooh, you gotta remind yourself, he has won the victory. He can open the scrolls. He has redeemed you. This is one of those things that, John, why are you weeping bitterly? He's right there. The one that redeems is right there. It goes on to say, then I saw the lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out in every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They uh, held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Do you know God's uh, people's prayers are incense in the throne room? So when you're praying, you're not praying just anywhere. It goes to the bowl of incense and it's a sweet incense to God. That is an amazing verse. Here's where I want to get to. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals open. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed for uh, uh, God's people. For every tribe and language, people and nation. Stop. Oh, we celebrate that Jesus is the only one worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one worthy to die on the cross for us and to redeem all sin. It shows the greatness of God. Revelation. Oh, it's, it's a special book. It's a special book that, that just reminds you you're on the winning team. And you have the MVP of all MVPs and his name is Jesus. When we start to weep bitterly, start to read Revelation a little bit and remind yourself, God, you are worthy, you are victorious, you are my redeemer. You're the only one that can redeem this. Catch this picture real quick. Next time that you are weeping bitterly, thinking everything's dipped, just picture one of the 24 elders tapping your shoulder saying, look, it's the line of Judah. He's here to redeem your life. Here's the line of Judah. He's here to fix the mess that you can never fix. Oh, this is the promise of Revelation. Another thing I love about Revelation it not only celebrates Jesus, it celebrates that we win. It celebrates we win. I love winning. Oh, I love winning. I hate losing. You, I, I'm not a sore loser. I just hate losing. Show me a good loser and I'll show you somebody good at losing. You know what I'm saying? Am I right? I'm right. So I hate losing. I love winning. And that's why I love being a Christian. That's why I love being a disciple because we win and we win big. Here's a reward in Revelation 21. It says this, it celebrates we win. Then I saw heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Woof. It says that we are ready for the show, suited and booted. You ever like getting dressed up for a party? You ever like getting dressed up to go out? Well, the Bible says you're about to be dressed up the best of the best you've ever been dressed for the party of all parties. Come on now. I, 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 I think I shared this maybe uh, month six. When I lived in LA, Puff Daddy would throw this party where everybody would wear all white uh, to the party. And it was a very exclusive New Year's Eve party. And it got nothing on this party. We are suited and booted and we about to party. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Oh, we hold on to that day. Been alive 38 years, pastored for 17 years. I've walked people through death. I've walked people through rape. I've walked people through losing their parents, through murder. I've walked people through pain. And every time I just had to sit and ask God, God, why do these things happen? And scripture shows us that when sin is in the world, bad things happen and this life is but a breath, but Jesus is coming to end all that pain. Oh, I'm so excited for that day. Oh, get a bigger picture. Oh, stop looking at the, the, the micro and start looking at the big things. God is gonna have a day where we are going to be perfect and blameless and we're gonna party with him and there will be no more tears. 
I'm gonna be able to actually shoot par in golf. What? Uh, it's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna make actually putts for the first time golfing. It's gonna be a great thing in heaven. Those are the little things. Okay, let's keep going. I, uh, I wanna pray. And we're gonna look at Sardis. And we're gonna look at the big picture of Sardis. We're gonna see two big things. We're not gonna get lost in the weeds here. We're gonna find the two big things, God's heart for what he wants for our church today, for our disciples today. And man, I pray right now that you would just buckle up. I, I, you may be saying, Todd's a little excited today. I'm gonna make a hyperbolic statement. This was one of the most profound studies I've ever had for my own life. And I hope it's for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you that you are a God who, who sees. You're a God who redeems. You're a God who brings the victory and you're the God who celebrates. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you so much. I pray that as we see uh, your word in, in this uh, Revelation 3, Lord, that our eyes would be open, our ears would hear and our hearts would be transformed. They would come to life. The ones that are sleepy Christians right now, I pray that they would wake up. If they've been falling asleep because of wealth, I pray they would wake up and realize how great their God is. God, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. And everybody said, amen. So what's the heart of this letter to this artist? What's, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? It's to wake sleepy Christians up. That really is the big overarching thing. I call it the alarm clock letter. I'm, you know what, I'm gonna title the message, alarm clock. It's gonna look weird on YouTube, but just alarm clock. Making a great disciple, alarm clock. It's the alarm clock uh, letter. And here's what it's doing, it's going, boo, boo, boo. Wake up, wake up, you're going the wrong way. You ever, um, uh, you ever thankful for a fire alarm? Yeah, because it saves your life. It starts going off, boo, boo. Hey, get out of the house. You, you thankful that you have gas detectors in your house? Yeah, because it saves your life. Uh, you ever have a, you have a big appointment, a meeting of all meetings, maybe to get the greatest job of all, all jobs? What do you do? You set an alarm so you don't miss it. Jesus in Revelation 3 is setting the alarm off. And the making of a great disciple, if I could just be honest, uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. Last year, we, we uh, preached a series titled The Making of a Great Church. Every fall, I'll be preaching a message series kind of like this, and I call it the alarm clock series. I'm gonna come every fall and say, hey, quick reminder, uh, uh, Mission Church, you're not, you're not on this planet just to uh, live for pleasure. Actually, you're not built for pleasure at all. You're built for a purpose. Hey, alarm clock, Mission Church, you're built to worship. Alarm clock, Mission Church, you're built to serve. Alarm clock, Mission Church, you're built to forgive. Alarm clock, Mission Church, you're built to love your neighbor and the ones that don't agree with you. Alarm clock, alarm clock, alarm clock. And that's what's happening in Revelation 3. She's saying, oh, this church is falling asleep. I gotta come in. I gotta get the pans. I gotta bang the pans together and say, wake up. Oh, there's only a few that are actually awake. Uh, I see two things that he's trying to wake them up to, two big things. One is, is they don't represent Jesus well. They've deceived themselves. He says this, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Oof, he's saying this. Hey, the world may think you're pretty great, but heaven's not impressed. The world may say, wow, great job. You're, you, you got a great reputation. AKA, the church is really good at making sure they're making all the decisions to make the people in the community happy, but they're never really uh, uh, focused on pleasing God. I love what Paul says. If I were gonna be a servant of God, I never would have, if I wanted to please people, I never would have became a servant of God. I mean, if you wanna please God, you're gonna frustrate people at times. And he's saying your reputation, it's not good. So the first one is the rep. They don't represent Jesus well. Second thing is he says, very few people are pursuing me. Another way to say that very few people are picking Jesus. Where, where does it say that? In verse four, it says, yet you have few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they're, they're worthy. There's only a few people still walking with Jesus. Another way to say walking with Jesus, a few people still following him and pursuing him. So I got two points, two points only. First one is, is that Jesus is having an invitation to Sardis to walk with him again. The, the way I wrote it down, it's an invitation to walk with Jesus. 
It's an invitation to walk with Jesus. Now, I find it interesting that it says that they're spiritually, they're dead, but they're alive. And so I went to a verse and I wanted to find verses that connect. You always want to use hermeneutics, find scripture, interpret scripture, see if Jesus ever talked about it anywhere else. And in Luke 9, he talks about the spiritually dead. And I want to read it to you. It's Luke 9, verse 57. And it's really the part of, of um, the gospel where it's the cost of following Jesus. And here's what it says. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. You ever say that to the Lord? Lord, I will love everybody. I'm gonna love everybody. And the first person annoys you, I hate you. you. Boom, right away. God, I will do anything and everything. And then God asks you to do something like, ah, maybe tomorrow. Well, this is this, this guy's statement. And Jesus is trying to really double down on his, his statement. I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. He says, Lord, but first... Let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their, uh, bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. He's inviting him to his calling. But you ever read that verse like, dang, I can't go to my dad's funeral. Am I not allowed to go to funerals as a Christian? I'm gonna unpack actually what that means. That's another smelling salt one. That is one of those smelling salt verses that makes you stop and go, what are you trying to say to me, God? Another thing he goes, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me uh, say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Stop. This is one of those shaking verses where it just, it, it doesn't sit well with you at first when you read it. It makes you feel uncomfortable. If I could just unpack it for you, here's really what he's saying. It's, it's very simple. Ready for this? The only person, here's what he's saying. The only person who doesn't pick me first hasn't seen my glory. The only person that doesn't pick me first hasn't tasted my greatness. Here's what I mean by that. Do you notice a theme in this uh, story? Jesus says, follow me. And both people's response is, but first, let me go do this. But first, let me go do that. Have you ever met anybody who is somewhat a Christian and then you ask them to small group? Well, but first I gotta go do that. You ask them church, well, but first I gotta go do this. And the reality of what Jesus is saying, this is, all the, this is the heart of this right, real quick. This is what Jesus is saying. The only way you're not gonna pick me, the only way you're not gonna follow me is because you're spiritually dead. Because anybody who has seen the greatness of God, anybody who has tasted the goodness of God is always gonna pick God first. The reality is, is you'll start seeing people talk this way. Hey, we should hang out Sunday. Yeah, I'm down to hang out, but first I'm going to church. Hey, we should, uh, we should hang out on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I'll down to hang out Wednesday night, but I got small group. But first I gotta go to small group. They start to make God and his bride a priority in their life. I, 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 um, uh, I think of the verse in Psalm 34, eight. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed are the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see the Lord is good. Taste and see. Now, what, what does that mean? Uh, we live in the least church region in all of the U.S. It's an amazing stat, 4%. Some people say our area is 2%. And so our first year, this was my prayer. Pastor would ask me, what are you trying to accomplish at Mission Church? And I, I simply would tell him on Sunday, man, I'm trying to have one thing happen on Sunday. I want people to taste and see that God is good. Because if they taste and see that he is good, it's over. If they taste his goodness, if they taste his presence and worship, if they hear about it and they actually get a little experience, God, there's no turning back. When you taste and see that he is good, nothing holds in comparison. So the first thing I wanna talk about is simply this, is the, the, the person who is putting everything else first besides God, I'm gonna let you know that you probably haven't seen his glory yet. You probably haven't seen his glory. What I mean by uh, first is the funeral is just another thing they had to do. It could have been anything, but that was the person, what they said. So you said, if you're, you're always gonna have something. Have you ever noticed that every day has something that the urgent always steals from the important? 
There's always urgent things. Oh, I gotta do this first, I gotta do this first, I gotta do this first, and the day's gone, and the most important things get, get no love. Think about it, family. Oh, I'm gonna hang on my family. Oh, but I got this, but I got that. And urgent things just steal. Well, I believe that after I preach these two points, you're gonna process a little differently and maybe be challenged in a great way. First one is this, have you seen his glory? Have you seen his glory? What do I mean by have you seen his glory? Uh, I grew up really poor, if you ever heard me preach. Uh, we grew up on food stamps. Shout out to my mom and dad who watch. Love you. Hey, we started from the bottom, but now we're here. Come on now. My parents got a motor home now. Both, uh, both live in large. I love it. They're doing great financially, but when we were kids, we was here, and now we're here. <laughs> so uh, the quote, the famous Drake, yes, we started from the bottom, and now we're here. I can't believe I quoted Drake. Okay, uh, let's keep going. So we were on food stamps, really poor. Well, uh, when you're poor, you don't get every toy you want. Uh, you don't get a lot of toys you want. And I, don't get me wrong, I had a great childhood. I loved my childhood. But so, so side note, we're, we're good. But I remember my dad and I would take stuff to Goodwill. And when I was at Goodwill, I would see all these toys being donated to Goodwill. And we'd walk in Goodwill once in a while. And if I had 50 cents or a dollar, I could buy some from Goodwill. Got a lot of my clothes from Goodwill, to be honest. Goodwill kid, you know other people at Goodwill kids? Shout out. If you know Goodwill, here's one thing you'll remember. The smell of the clothes from Goodwill. Man, they had a smell to them. You could wash them, you still like, that's a Goodwill shirt. It still smells like Goodwill, okay? But to all the Goodwill people out there, shout out, okay? So um, I remember one day, I think I'm like six, maybe seven. I tell my parents, we're in the car, and we're talking about dream jobs. And I tell my parents, my dream job is this. My dream job is to work at Goodwill so I can get any toy I want because if anybody donates a toy, I can have the toy because they gave it to Goodwill. And my parents just started laughing. They didn't even cry. To be honest, it's a pretty sad moment in the kid's life. My dream job is to work at Goodwill. You know, like, bro, like, set your bar a little higher. So my parents started laughing, like, and for the rest of my life, they're like, remember when Tyler said his dream job was Goodwill? Uh, I even had my, I called my parents a little while ago and just talked to them about it. We laughed about it. And then I got older. And I started having a bigger perspective. I started seeing more things in life. I started to experience other things. And as I got older and I saw my purpose and I saw my calling, it would be ridiculous for me to pick working at Goodwill over me being a senior pastor. This is my dream job. I just didn't see it yet. And what I'm saying to some of you is that your dreams right now are Goodwill dreams. Your, your, your dreams, you, you think that finances are gonna fulfill you? That's a Goodwill dream. I just wanna get really stinking rich in the Bay Area. That's a Goodwill dream. Do you know that we're the highest depression area, but we're the richest area? Put that together because the Goodwill dream does not satisfy the soul. So you, you wanted to be rich, that's a Goodwill dream. <laughs> and for me, I'm not gonna laugh at you, it makes me sad. It makes me sad that you think that finances are gonna fulfill you. To the person that thinks a person is going to fulfill their life, that's a goodwill dream. Because here's the reality, just like John, weeping bitterly, can I just tap on your shoulder and say, look at the Lion of Judah? Oh, he is the dream of all dreams. He is the fulfiller of all fulfillers. He's the one who gave, gave it an abundant life. And all he's saying is simply this, <laughs> let the spiritually dead bear the spiritually dead. Let the people who want to work at Goodwill keep working at Goodwill. We're busy trying to give people the inheritance of heaven. You, you can't go and work at Goodwill and work for heaven. It's an invitation. Either you want to work at Goodwill or you want to work for heaven. I choose heaven. It's, it's an amazing thing. Some of you just have not seen your calling yet. Some of you haven't seen the promise of fulfillment of living for God. Oh, I pray that you would see his glory. I pray that you would see the opportunity. He's trying to wake you up to see something different than just what the world has to offer. And it's the kingdom of heaven. Second thing is this. Once you see his glory, of course you're gonna to wanna to pick him, but I'm gonna double down. Also, you can taste his goodness. You can taste his goodness. One of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite things uh, to do with Rachel is I love going out to eat. We're foodies. I love great restaurants. And when I was 19, my favorite restaurant in all the world was Applebee's. Ooh, I loved me some Applebee's. 
the, 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 we call it the bee. And I also like the dirty bird, Red Robin. We call it the dirty bird, okay? Now, why I loved Applebee's was because they had uh, a $3 appetizer after nine o'clock, quesadilla, nachos. I mean, amazing. I got up, so just to give you a heads up, I graduated high school in 190. I, I ate terribly for about 18 months going to community college, go to Applebee's every night. I got up to 245. I put on 50 LBs because of Applebee's appetizers. They had this amazing hickory smoked salmon. It was phenomenal, top notch, 12.99, okay? Uh, yeah, they had some great steak. Their fries were unreal. My favorite restaurant on, on, in the whole planet. Let's fast forward. I'm 38 now. Last year for my 37th birthday, good friends of ours surprised me to this little place in Yountville, California, it's Napa, French Laundry, okay, French Laundry. Oh, 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 French Laundry, okay. If you don't know about French Laundry, let me fill you in real quick. Uh, it's one of the best restaurants in the world before. It's a three-star Michelin uh, uh, um, uh, restaurant in, in the world. It is one of the top places you can eat in all the world. They come out, and it's like 14 courses. They, they give you one little bite, and they pair it with a drink, and they give you another bite, and they pair it with a drink, and then they bring out uh, some more food and some more food, and it's just like this ex- experience. It's the greatest meal of my life. Now, when I was 19, if you asked me, Tyler, what do you want? What's the greatest meal? The hickory smoked salmon from Applebee's. It's delicious. Now, if you ask me now at 38, I have tasted and seen. I've been to some great restaurants. I've traveled to Europe and ate at some great restaurants in Paris and Italy. But I said, I've tasted and seen. And if you said, Tyler, I'm gonna give you a pick real quick. Do you want Applebee's or do you want French laundry? I would have to be spiritually, I would have to be, my taste buds would have to be dead for me to pick Applebee's. I would have to not be able to taste things for me to pick Applebee's. Of course I'd pick French laundry. And what Jesus is saying is, your taste buds must be dead if you're not picking the goodness of God. Because you've tasted and seen the the greatest meal of all meals. You will never, ever pick anything but Jesus. Oh, he's saying to Sardis, wake up, taste and see again to the ones who have forgotten how good I am. Come and eat of the bread. Oh, the bread that is my body. Come and, come and worship the lamb. Watch what happens. To the ones that are falling asleep, you have filled up on the junk food of the world. And I'm gonna invite you to eat at the all, all-encompassing, greatest restaurant in all the world, the greatest banquet, and it's the kingdom of heaven. Oh, when you start living for God, you won't pick anything else. That's the first thing. So Jesus says, very few are walking. Very few are saying yes to my invitation. Can I just make it very simple real quick? Let's, let's, let's break down these two points. Ready? Every day, you can either pick Jesus, I want to follow you, or world, I want everything you have to offer me. This one right here will fulfill your life. This one right here is why you're alive. And Jesus is simply saying, say yes to the invitation and walk with me. And the reality is the church of Sardis had the majority of the church saying yes to what does the world have? What do the idols have for me instead of what Jesus has for me? Man, Mission Church, you wanna be a great disciple? Start saying yes to following Jesus every day of your life. It's a daily decision. God, I'll follow you today. Okay, we have 30 minutes. Can I get to the next one? Come on now. Um, I'm gonna pause. Yeah, the next one is about 30 minutes to be an hour message. I wanna, uh, I wanna finish with this. We're just gonna conclude with this real quick. One of the greatest disciples, my wife's favorite Bible character in all the Bible is Moses. Moses knew something that we need to know, and it's simply this. Jesus, God, and Moses are having a conversation. And Moses simply says this, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going. Can I just tell you something real quick? Tomorrow when you wake up on Monday morning, be like Moses and understand what he's saying. 
God, I've tasted my life without you in Egypt and I didn't like it. I had all the luxuries of Egypt and when your presence wasn't there, it was terrible. I'm in the wilderness, but if you're in the wilderness, I wanna be in the wilderness, God. He's simply saying this, I've tasted the world and it has nothing and I've tasted your presence and it's everything. Oh, I want your presence, God. If your presence isn't going, I don't care how great the land looks. I don't great, I care how, how great the job opportunity looks. I don't care how great the, the, the person looks for dating. I don't care how, how great this offer looks. If you're not going, I'm not going because I've tasted my life without you and I never will do it again. Oh, think about that. That is the thought this week I want our church processing. Lord, if you're not going that way, I'm not going that way. If you're not in it, I'm not in it. I will follow you. Part two of Sardis will be next week. Can't wait to preach it. Love you, Mission Church. Take care. Be blessed. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.